Weather today in the ground. I love you so badly. I could... They're solid plastic, so don't settle for imitation. But the senator, while insisting he was not intoxicated, could not explain his nudity. <laughs> Good evening, this is Madeline Crawford, and this is the best of an Alan Smithy podcast. You give us 83 minutes and we'll give you 83 minutes of words. Tonight's triple feature episode asks who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men. That's right, it's Dark Man, and who is Dark Man? Find out this episode, from the 30th of June, 2010, the Dark Man trilogy, discussing Sam Raimi's 1990 Dark Man and Bradford May's two director video sequels, Dark Man 2. The Return of Durant and Darkman 3, Die Darkman Die. Welcome to an Alan Smithy podcast. My name is Matt, and I write at cinemachine.blogspot.com. And I'm Andrew, and I write at stopbutton.com. And this is our podcast where we talk about one good movie and one bad movie for one half hour uh, each, usually. But this is a special episode. We're talking about the Darkman trilogy. Um, and uh, the first film was directed by Sam Raimi in 1990. And the sequels were filmed back-to-back and released in 95 and 96 uh, by the same director. And um, we're going to start with the first film. So the year is 1990. Uh, You know, Batman came out the previous year. And, you know, right away the studios are like, okay, superhero movies. But it's not until, like, you know, Ten years later, that they start like with X Men, that they get around to comic books that we like people have heard of in this country. So <laughs> the, ni- the '90s was a really weird period of comic book movies where they would take characters that were either indie comics or or British comics, and a lot of them were like violent and sexy, and they just made them into dumb kids movies. Like you had Tank Girl, directed by Rachel Talalay. You had The Mask. Uh, you know, the famous Jim Carrey movie, which was originally a hyper-violent Dark Horse comic. Um, they went back to old stuff, like The Phantom, the old newspaper comic strip got made into that bad movie with Billy Zane. Um, the Shadow, the old radio serial character, got made into that movie and with Alec Baldwin. And, you know, a lot of these were bombs. And, um, and I mean, you know, understandably, because, like, nobody's going to go see this character. Um Darkman was an original character, although his look with the trench coat and the fedora is definitely inspired by the shadow. Um, and it was Sam Raimi's idea. Um, he's, like, the screenplay was worked on a lot, obviously. It's got, like, six names on it. It looks like three pairs of writing partners, only one pair of which was uh, Sam and uh, one of his brothers, I think, Ivan. Um but it was his story, and it was his character and everything. And, you know, uh, I mean, at this point, like, Sam Raimi is only three years uh, out from Evil Dead 2. And, like, Darkman is 
really well directed by him, like full of the kind of like dynamic camera movements and like really carefully storyboarded stuff and like lots of visual metaphors and um and you know crazy zooms <laughs> and cuts and even even some montages like that kind of show you the chaos inside of dark man's head which which have like their own special credit um but it's it's so well directed and the story is really simple and good and oh my goodness uh, evil dead 2 was actually the only his prior movie after this and this was before he did army of darkness which was like also a studio movie but really kind of a b studio movie um because it was evil dead 3 but like this was his this was his foray into hollywood and um you know i kind of in in my mind somewhere i categorize dark man into the same category as robocop as like an original movie superhero character who's who's an original movie character and not based on a comic book, but is sort of treated as though he is one. Um, I'd always... Oh, and I, I, the other reason I put it in the same category is because, like, ev they're very sort of dark movies, and uh, Dark Man is, like, PG-13, but it's definitely got some sadistic violence that wouldn't have been out of place in RoboCop, even though there's no blood, or very little. Um, but the thing I... Uh, I'd only sort of watched it on TV before in pieces, and this was first time in many years watching it again. And the thing that really struck me this time was um, uh, how much like the story structure is a lot like RoboCops. Um, you have you have this the first twenty minutes of it um, are like this origin story where the person who becomes the superhero like is really brutally you know, just brutalized by a charismatic uh, bad guy and his uh, and his gang of henchmen and RoboCop. It's Clarence Boddicker and his boys. And in this, it's it's um, Robert G. Durant, played by uh, Larry uh, Larry David. No, Larry um, Drake. <laughs> Larry <laughs> David. That Larry, Larry there's Drake. the remake right there. Yeah, and. Um, and uh, uh, he goes through this really painful process of, like, bringing himself back from the dead, like, literally, almost. In RoboCop's case, literally. In this one, almost literally. Um, and then, uh, and then he real he's really tortured because he knows he can never he he can never go back to his normal life the way it was. But because of who he is now, he can seek revenge against. Uh, the gang that brutalized him and he kind of goes after them one by one robocop and darkman do the same thing until they get around to the the guy who is really responsible you know whether it's robert g durant or clarence boddicker and and then <laughs> on top of that like when they've after they've gotten their re their personal revenge it's like there's still there in both movies there's a there's actually a corporate pup master pulling the strings behind uh behind that thuggish villain and both of them in both movies have real estate projects going <laughs> on <laughs> um in robocop it's uh one of the ocp executives played by ronnie cox is you know ocp is building delta city the future of tomorrow and in this you've got an evil industrialist uh who who's building uh who's a city well you know a new part of town and um it's it it I was like, wow, this is like almost plagiarism. 
but it never occurred to me just how similar the two movies really were. And I mean, that said, you know, Robocop is a better movie for many reasons, but Darkman, because because of that structure, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, there's all these superhero movies now, and tons of them just follow the exact same formula in terms of their story structure. If Darkman had been, I think, it, I think Darkman did okay, but, like, if it had been a hit, even, even, like, as big a hit as RoboCop, and then, like, done well on video like RoboCop did, um, it, part of, like, I sort of wish, like, that could have kicked off a trend of, um, through the 90s of, like, creating original character, original comic book type characters for movies like this, which were sort of, like, dark enough to be for, like, an older teenage audience, and instead of, like, I don't know, taking comic books that were meant for an older teenage audience and turning them into kids' movies, um, I feel like there's an alternate timeline that could have happened there that would have been much better for for movies, uh, period. But that didn't happen. Anyways, Darkman's good. <laughs> yeah. I like Darkman. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen it in... I, I mean, I don't even know if I've ever seen it on DVD, so I didn't remember The City of Tomorrow either. But um, what's what I found was interesting now, you know, I, I saw it in the theater, so, I mean, I saw it a long time ago, and then now seeing it, uh, with the internet giving me trivia, it, it's so funny to see who they lobbied for, for the villain. Not for Larry Drake, who... Now, you, you didn't see... You haven't... You're not a L.A. Law buff, but... uh no. On L.A. Law, Larry Drake played... I think his name was Benny. And he was the mentally disabled office guy. And... I mean, it sounds awful. But I, I, they went through great lengths to make sure that they were, you know, accurately portraying. I mean, it wasn't a sitcom handling of it and, and that sort of thing. But the result is the idea of Larry Drake as this um, psychotic. It'd be kind of like Kramer being a psychotic, murderous guy mm-hmm. um, pre outburst or whatever. If Michael Richards had sort of been the villain in. Uh, I don't know if he'd been the Green Goblin. It's 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 about as out there of a uh, yeah. or, of a casting or, choice. Or um, um, he played Clarence Boddicker. Uh, Kurtwood Smith. It'd be like if it'd be like if Kurtwood Smith played Clarence Boddicker after being the dad on that '70s show. Yeah, I mean it's just this crazy sort of you know casting thing, and I mean Larry Drake's awesome, but this was also the first movie where I ever saw Colin Frills who uh, is an Australian actor, and he plays the big bad guy. But originally, they were going for, like, Richard Dreyfus to play him. They were going for an older guy, mm-hmm. which I think is so funny because um, at a certain point, this guy just becomes insane. Yeah, at the end of the movie, he's, like, hopping. <laughs> he, he, <laughs> he, says, he says that he used, he used to work on construction sites when he was younger, so suddenly he's, like, completely nimble jumping around this construction site uh, hundreds of feet in the air. Yeah, and so he, that's the other thing about Darkman that, uh, I mean, even Robo, RoboCop is, yes, he's destructible once you bust out the uh, Cobra assault rifle, but until then he's pretty indestructible. I mean, Darkman can't feel pain, 
But other than that, he doesn't have any real abilities. I mean, you know, he can disguise himself, yes, but as like a uh, as a superhero, he doesn't, you know, have any superpowers. He can't. Uh-huh. He, he's not a ninja like Batman or Daredevil. So he it, it makes him um, the underdog, actually. Yeah. In pretty much any sequence that is not. Um, well, that's kind of why I don't like uh, his climactic battle with uh, Larry Drake involves him dangling from a helicopter that Larry Drake is piloting. And, I mean, it's really Im- impressively filmed, but it, it's so sort of incidental to Darkman. Like, it could, it could be in any movie. It doesn't have anything to do with who the characters are. Yeah, and I mean, he's fighting during the day, and it follows up a scene where he has just gotten done doing a very dark man like fight sequence um with the uh he keeps changing identities and that's kind of the thing is dark man uh while it was made on a, a bigger budget than Raimi originally thought he was going to get it still is not that big of a budget so there's not a lot of changes in his um disguise disguise yeah cuz i mean in the in the climactic fight scene there's the suggestion that he has you know just a stockpile an endless stockpile of masks we don't get to see that i mean we don't get to see him yeah well the movie plays like pretty fast and loose with the logic but i mean that's okay (laughs) that's okay because i mean it is directed like a comic book where you're not supposed to think about that stuff and it's just supposed to flow i mean like the act you know his his initial you know brutalization by larry drake and the gang involves him like flying from an exploding building in flames and then landing in the water nearby and surviving. So Screaming the entire way. <laughs> um, yeah. And now, of course, this came out in 90, which yeah. uh, is the same year. I don't know if you remember uh, Die Hard 2. Die Hard what, 2 uh, has the ejection scene. Oh, yeah. Where Bruce yeah. Willis flies up. Similar right. angle, and it's just kind of yeah. like yeah. these things sort of, you know, sometimes they just, it's, the technology's all of a sudden there, so a couple <laughs> people do it, and you're just yeah. kind of, you know, kind of well, like, mean, who knows? Kind of like, like, like the Superman-style flying in Doctor Strange. Kind of like that, which we talked about when we weren't recording, so sorry, people, but Doctor Strange TV movie has the same flying as Superman, only less. Um and the difference is in Darkman that see, I mean, Darkman's humor is pretty dark. <laughs> it's pretty dark. That's probably the most laugh out loud funny scene because it's just so. I mean, it's awful. I mean, it's terrible. I mean, the guy's on fire and he's flying through the air, but it's still funny. Well, I don't know. I think, I think probably the the height of the dark humor is the carnival scene where he flips out and mangles a uh, a carney's hand <laughs> yeah but that's always the uh i mean that's the payoff we've been annoyed in movies by carnies at this point for probably about <laughs> 60 years and we never got to see one of them get woody had coming um well i mean that's the thing though the the carnival scene sort of uh liam neeson this is his first lead role i think uh and yeah. so yeah i think it's his first lead role it's four years before schindler and then, you know, Schindler's, of course, after that, he really sort of did not do high pro... I mean, it's... His career's, you know, he's his most successful when he's doing unexpected things. But um, mm-hmm. 
this is you know nine years he'd already he he wasn't anybody yet so uh but he'd been around for a while um the first time i think i noticed him as was in 87 he was in suspect as this homeless guy who cleans up into liam neeson and after this one i'm trying to think if what he did after this because um i'm looking at it i mean shin oh i'm wrong schindler's wasn't 94 it was 93 so i mean you know he did a he did a handful of movies between this and schindler's so his career totally uh sort of took off and so it makes dark man a uh mm. <laughs> You're watching him and Francis McDormand, and it's like, if this movie had been made six years later, there would have had to have been, what, Oscar hype around the two of them? (laughs) Right. Did you just call call her Francis McDormand? Isn't that her name? Oh, it's Dormand. I thought you were riffing on her. No, I wasn't trying to. Um, (laughs) Francis McDormand. Yes, Dormand. Dormand. Did I say Dormand? Mad? I heard it as Dormat. Anyways, or doormat. Anyways, so and of course, yeah, both, Francis... these, both these people were uh, respected, Oscar-nominated act, uh, actors just three or four years later. Yeah, so I mean, it's seeing it now. I mean, at the time, you didn't know who either of them was. I yeah. mean, seeing them at the time, Francis McDormand was. Larry, Larry Drake was the biggest star. Larry Drake was the biggest star. Liam Neeson was presumably going to go on to this kind of thing. Um, you know, and Frances McDormand was just the girl in distress. I mean, she was, uh, you know, being, when I saw this, I was 12. So I hadn't seen yeah. Blood Simple. I didn't know anything about her Coen brothers background. And of course she's in this because Raimi and the Coen brothers were big, uh, buddies. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. They don't collaborate anymore. I don't know. No, if they, and I guess the, was... the Coen brothers are actually in this. Uh, huh. In a car, and hmm. on the highway, uh, and this actually reminds me. What's funny is, is that he wanted to make the shadow and Universal. He couldn't get the rights. Universal had the rights and made it a few years later with um, Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin and Russell Mulcahy made it. Uh, a guy who made Highlander, and it, it was a, it was an enormous bomb, and it kind of killed Penelope Ann Miller's movie career. Uh, Alec Baldwin's movie career is impossible to tarnish or destroy because, I mean, at this point, he always had David Mamet as a supporter, mm-hmm. so he could yeah. always get work, but it, it killed Penelope Ann Miller's. That's like Francis McDormand's like in the Penelope Ann Miller role in this movie, which is really weird because Penelope Ann Miller was in Kindergarten Cop. I mean, it's like that kind of thing. Yeah, uh-huh. Frances McDormand is not in any way a high-profile actress in this, or even she's just a damsel in distress. It's kind of right. it's it's very weird. She she does she does have a really great kind of postmodern damsel in distress line with uh, with um, Colin Friels though, which is uh, if you're not going to kill me, can I go now? Yeah, well, that's the other. I mean, she has her own storyline. That there are a lot of logic gaps in it, but there are still some really good moments like. There's nobody goes to poor uh, Liam Neeson's funeral except her. <laughs> right. After they just got done talking about his family. I mean, it's just kind of. But those scenes before that, when I'm, I'm, I actually had a point to this. 
the scenes with them on the street when he proposes to her, which I'd forgotten about, it's very uh, colorful, Raimi, uh, romance, sumptuous, romance romantic them. stuff. <laughs> and now this is shot by Bill Pope, who I watched the Spider-Man movies a few weeks ago for the stop button. And Bill Pope shot the second Spider-Man movie, which is very sumptuous, very colorful, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Same cinematographer, so um, it raises to me the question why the hell Raimi didn't use him on the first one. But the shadow kind of has that same feel in its romantic scenes. So it's almost as the and even the camera angles um, – there's a scene where they are sharing a cab or he takes her to a cab and it's a low angle shot. And it's, I mean, it's a Raimi shot. Um, That's the other really cool thing about dark man is, is it's your first time seeing Sam Raimi try and do a uh, non evil dead movie, unless you were to count um, crime wave, crime wave, but he's, he's trying to direct a mainstream movie, but he's still Sam Raimi. So with the exception, I think of the, uh, the helicopter sequence where Darkman's spinning around the city, every single shot in this movie is a, uh, uh, you're never going to see anything else like it because it's, it's Sam Raimi's first uh, studio movie. Yeah. The shadow Mulcahy flying, flying through the, flying through the city on a line. That's certainly foreshadowing for yeah, isn't later it? in, later in his career. Um, Mulcahy has similar shots, I think involving a cab with Alec Baldwin and Penelope Ann Miller in the shadow. So mm. he, he it, to the point where I would say that he saw Darkman and liked what Raimi did when he wanted to make his own shadow movie and then took it for the studio shadow movie that didn't make as much money, but had Raimi done it, I mean, might have been more yeah. successful. Well, I never, I never knew that about, like, the shadow was what he wanted to do originally, but it makes perfect sense, well, of course. I think I only know that because a few years ago after the uh after Spider Man two and sort of after Sam Raimi became the biggest guy in the world, I mean Yeah. Uh, you you direct three movies that make eight hundred million dollars, presumably you can do whatever you want. Um he he got the rights to the shadow back and he was gonna produce a shadow adaptation and it sort of just disappeared. I mm. Yeah. So like he was gonna try it again. Um, and so I had read about that, but, and then Darkman ends with, uh, he's presumably going to become a crime fighter. Well, not necessarily, I think. Uh... And I mean, it's, it's, uh, I mean, this is something I should save for when we get into Darkman two and three. Right. I, I feel, oh, well, this is one, one more similarity to RoboCop I felt is that like, his story of, you know, rising from the dead and getting his personal revenge is, like, so... seems so personal and self-contained to me that just, like, RoboCop, it's like once he's avenged him... I mean, RoboCop, like, yeah, he's a robot cop, so he's gonna have to fight crime as a way, you know, <laughs> as, as a as a matter of his existence, but, I mean, it's... Dark, Dark Man, you know, Dark Man even more so. It's like once once he gets his personal revenge and comes to some kind of acceptance with who he is, um, it. I don't think he his character lends himself to future adventures. Exactly, exactly. And this is something that I've always uh, that this is my problem with comic book movies to some degree is that 
it doesn't why is this worth seeing? Why is this particular adventure of this comic book character worth telling? Mm-hmm. And so you instead get these exaggerated you get three villains a movie whatever. You get these exaggerated reasons for this to be a worthwhile thing whereas comic book characters are they're supposed to be in sequential uh not sequential narratives what's the word there's it, the storytelling is more for television mm-hmm. than it is for a movie so doing a movie it's it's why wasn't there anything what there's no point to making a RoboCop 2 or 3 yeah i mean there's some cool stuff in RoboCop 2 but there's no damn reason to make a RoboCop 2 let alone um, 3 <laughs> let alone 3 um, and even when you get to the TV series, you know, <laughs> but whatever, I mean, it's like the matrix, you know, you, you, if they'd left it alone with the first one, I don't think people would snicker when they say the Wachowskis <laughs> because, right, right. you know, you have this perfect thing. It does not lend itself yeah. to, um, I mean, like even when Tim Burton was like doing the heavy lifting of creating these conventions in the first place, he thought that the Joker should be the guy who would kill Batman's parents just so that the story could be that much more self-contained. Right. And I, you know, I mean, and we love Batman returns here on the, uh, the Alan Smithy podcast and Burton's approach to that way of doing a sequel is you should, you should still kill the main (laughs) villain. (laughs) Well, not just that you should still kill the main villain, but it also, I don't think that, you know, had they somehow convinced Burton to stick with it, it I don't think he ever, and Keaton, I don't think they ever would have done Catwoman coming back to Gotham City. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, you know, they were going to do the Catwoman spinoff with Michelle Pfeiffer, but it, it's a very different approach than what we've got now, um, which is, I mean, it's it's frightening to say this, but Marvel's actually doing something new with this. I mean, they're sort of whatever they're doing. So, but that's, they're thinking about doing that in the first place because that's, yeah. Yeah. All these movies are pre-planned. They're pre-planned springboards for franchises. Yeah. Dark man's not like that. Dark man. No, it, it was five years before dark man too. It was five years before dark man too. And we didn't want to, there's a unsuccessful TV pilot that we neither of us watched that no but but uh, did it come before dark man it did it came in 92 so it would have come oh my gosh yeah wow but it was a 30 minute uh series it was a gonna be it was gonna be sitcom length action show and the thing is is that we'll get to it in a bit with the the direct-to-video sequels that's just because universal wanted their own network throughout the entire 90s basically the early 90s and they were always trying to produce stuff for it but um so yeah we've sort of just rambled mostly me but you know talking about dark man it's um the casting is truly one of the most interesting things about it it's pg-13 right yeah yeah it's pg-13 and it opens with this incredibly violent sequence yeah i mean i i like to give Roger Ebert a hard time about uh, about giving uh, four stars to Dick Tracy and saying that it's so much you know lighter oh. 
saying saying that it's so much lighter than than Batman. I mean, both movies are PG thirteen, but um, in Dick uh, Dick Tracy like lingers over guys getting shot, and it has more guys getting shot than. Um, he than didn't Bat- really give Dick Tracy four stars, did he? Batman, that's for sure. Uh, at least three, um, which is more than he gave to Batman. Um, but. Anyways, yeah, Darkman, extremely violent for PG thirteen. Yeah, he and, gave um, it four stars. Um, not just and not just not just with guys getting shot, but it has it has creative it has creative sadism the way that RoboCop had creative sadism. I mean, like the way Larry Larry Drake's villainous character trait is that he uses a cigar cutter to collect people's fingers, and I mean, <laughs> that's that's effed up. And then uh, yeah. Oh, man. Well, it's this, me. This, this, uh, the, the the part that yeah, it's me. It's me. even Darkman is mean, is sadistic. Like he, the way he uh, he sticks Ivan, I think it's Ivan Raimi's head, uh, yeah, up, up through a manhole and lets him get run over. It's awful. <laughs> yeah, I mean he, yeah he, and that, they deal with it in the movie. The Darkman at some point is kind of like at the end when the chick when Francis McDormand is talking about how she can still help him. I mean, she's kind of backed off from them having a physical relationship, having seen him as a complete and utter freak. Um, well, that's the other thing is we got to talk about the makeup because the makeup in Darkman is just awesome. It, it, yeah. The makeup in Darkman is the only reason I ever bought a Fangoria, I think, was because <laughs> of the makeup in Darkman. But uh-huh. you get to the end and she's like, you know, I can help you, et cetera, et cetera. And he's kind of like, you know, I'm kind of totally screwed up. And yeah, I, it's, I, I can't. Uh, <laughs> I can't be around people anymore. Yeah, you, you know, yeah. you know how they, you know how they say, "ugly on the outside, but beautiful on the inside." Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of, I'm kind of ugly on the inside at this yeah, point. I mean, too. he's tortured people. He's yeah. I mean, there's the witty torture scene at the end where Colin Frills is like, "You can't drop me," you know, "you're the good yeah. guy," and he's kind of like, "eh," you know, he drops him. Yeah, and, and it's, it's just, not, but and it's not glib either. I mean, it's a little glib, but it, like you say, it deals with it. He, it, yeah. Sam Raimi acknowledges that his character is violent, and his character knows that he's, you know, he's completely lost it. Which kind of makes him totally unsuited for any kind of a film franchise. Um, yeah, he really kind of softens up in two and three. Um, yeah, I mean it. it or for a TV show, for that matter, for anything. I mean, yeah. a real Darkman 2 would be even more... Um... It's kind of like how, you know, Ro- by the same by the same coin here, RoboCop uh, doesn't shoot anyone in the balls in 2 or 3. And 2, two has tons of... 2 really piles on the, sadis- the sadism, but it's it's for the villains, not for... Not for Ro- RoboCop doesn't do anything like shooting guys in the balls anymore. Yeah, I mean, it's... Um... There's a team-up movie. Come on, hey, Verhoeven's return to. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I think both Peter Weller and Liam Neeson could do a crossover at this point in their career. Um, the too good for our former characters crossover event. Yeah. So it's. Uh, I mean, Darkman's really fast too. I mean, it's 96 minutes long. I think he's. Yeah, it's, it's really. What's well, one of the coolest things about it is that it's it's really breathlessly paced. And I mean, like, because Sam Raimi, like, I mean, and that's that's kind of the comic book style filming of it is that, like, Sam Raimi goes, like, what image is going to further the story without dialogue? Like, oh, I know, I'll transition from Francis McDormand standing at the site of the wreckage to being in 
being at the funeral and and that's going to tell you all you need to know and it does yeah. and so cuz Sam Raimi is so brilliant visually he just he can film it like a comic book he and can he can boil down the plot points to visuals and that makes the movie move that much faster and that sequence there where he goes from so basically he shoots her in front of a green screen superimposes her on a street fades it to her at the funeral um, yeah. all alone different costume change too that's the kind of thing that uh, uh, you take a movie like Daredevil and the guy who made that would be bragging that he got that from the comic book you know because it's just yeah. a, it's a quick transition it's a visual transition Alan Moore talks about that kind of thing in his little essay about writing comic books uh but yeah, no, Raimi just does it in Darkman really quick, and it it doesn't have a comic book to be based on. He just does yeah. it. Yeah, and that's why this, and that's why he was so good at Spider-Man, and there are at least, I think as you pointed out um, in a previous episode, uh, he reuses the image of Darkman perched on the top of a building, saying to himself, what have I become? And the camera kind of glides over the top of him. That, that shot's in one of the Spider-Man movies, and... Um, and uh, also I noticed, like, when he's going through his whole s- sequence of, you know, being a raggedy man, uh, you see him, like, you see him, like, stumbling through an alleyway, and it's just like, I mean, this image was taken from the comics, but it's just like in Spider-Man 2, where he, hang, you know, throws his yeah. costume in, into, into a trash bin and now, walks, walks down an alley. I'm trying to see if, uh, now, this, the dark man makeup is... I noticed uh, Tony Gardner was one of the uh, makeup guys on this, and I thought that was interesting because he was uh, he designed the um, the half lady in Return of the Living Dead, okay. who, also, who also has you know I mean she was a puppet, but it's also that kind of effect of like seeing seeing someone's teeth on the outside <laughs> with no with no lips, and that's what Darkman has, and it looks totally you totally buy it, you totally buy that this guy's had his lips fried off, and yet. He can still form uh, P sounds. Yeah, and I mean, B sounds. It's the Darkman makeup is so extreme that it. I'm shocked they got a PG-13 in some ways. They wouldn't. I don't think. I don't. Well, during the period where people really went after PG-13, I don't know if you would have you would have gotten it. But still, at this point, but uh, yeah, you yeah. can buy a Darkman bust for fifteen hundred dollars of the uh, the makeup bust, and I mean, it's just. It's certainly grosser than um, two or th- it looks in two or three. <laughs> they realized by the by five years later that they had to tone it down some. Um, yeah, it's it's like it would be like really good zombie makeup. In exactly, zombie it looks like the cover of uh, a zombie. I'm trying to think. It actually does look kind of like that, but they don't use it. Um, what's nice is that. Once you get the rev- the reveal of it, yeah, Raimi does not. Um, he doesn't use it again right away, and then at the end, it's sort of just there, yeah, a lot. And I'm trying, that, to, think, I'm trying to think of when you first see it in full. When she follows him back, don't you? Oh, no, that's oh, that's oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I mean at that which point, is, which is which is more than halfway through the movie. Yeah. So I mean, it's just he's—it's gone. I mean, his face is gone. 
Yeah. Three quarters of his face is gone. He has some of it remaining, and it's pretty much the the top left. His top left corner of his head of his face is still there, but everything else is gone. Yeah, and so yeah, it's just great makeup, and I I'd kind of forgotten about it. Um, and the remainder of what is there is still so the makeup's still so nasty. The skin looks dead. It's pale and dead, and uh, it's just it's nice. I mean, there's also the hands thing, which is the one point where I'm kind of like, this is an afterthought. They mm-hmm. destroy his hands. Yeah. And there's this scene where he's doing all of his research and after he's be, after he's been uh deformed and but before he starts his vendetta um and he he realizes that his hands have been destroyed mm-hmm. and he has the they took my hands moment kind of <laughs> like which is which is almost like some obtuse reference to evil dead too <laughs> it's, give me back my hand it's so late it's so late. He's put together a lab. He's done all of this stuff. <laughs> he didn't notice. <laughs> he didn't notice that his hands were... They took the sense... This feeling. He'd already had his hand on fire, hadn't he? Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, it's just like, at that point, it just feels... It's a small quibble with uh, yeah. the logic. Um, I, have a, I have a slightly larger logic quibble. Okay. Um, and I feel like this was kind of accidental somehow, but um, correct me if I'm wrong, but like bef- uh, when he's still Liam Neeson before um, Larry Drake fucks him up, um, they're looking at their uh, tissue experiments and they can't get it to to stay together um, past a certain point in time, but then like either him or his lab partner goes like, "Oh, wait a minute! It's only exposure to to ultraviolet light. It's only exposure to you know the rays of the sun that causes it to dissipate after this time barrier." And I thought like, did I did I like forget this ass this detail of the movie? Like he can only go out at night, and that's why it's like Dark Man because. The sun is gonna. Yeah, is, I forgot then, about that too. And then, and then it never comes up again. It's because, like, whenever he goes out in disguise as one of you know Durant's goons, he, it's daylight, so you know it wouldn't matter anyways. But like, it's not even a plot point at any point that. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, unless unless that wasn't what it was supposed to mean. I mean, unless unless like you know if he were out at nighttime, his his artificial skin would still collapse. But I just thought that was odd. It seemed like something that they forgot to follow up on. Yeah, um, there's a and line, and, and it seemed like something that he forgot too himself, as he was in, as he's you know, after he's Dark Man, he's still obsessing over getting that skin to work, and he seems to have forgotten that it'll work fine at night. Yeah, there was a line. Uh, he, one of his line. I think it's it makes it all the more uh, tragic, but also he did have a line that. You know, when they discovered, he's like, you know, people can't just be expected to go out at night, and it's kind of like, well, <laughs> I mean, at some point, yeah, maybe they could. I mean, yeah. but uh, yeah, they, I forgot about that because I'm like, wait, he gets the skin, and then they mess him up, and he can't get it again, and then I'm like, oh no, it's the dark. 
But yeah, he's uh, he's fighting during the day for the entire movie. I mean, oh, yeah. we got the last thing I want to mention is is that when he frames the infamous criminal. Oh yeah, <laughs> when he when he when he frames Durant doing yeah. a hold up hold up of a holding up a convenience store. Yeah, it it's this logic that seems like it's out of an episode of The Simpsons. Well, and it in was fact, it is. Of, it, was, um, it was out of. It would eventually <laughs> it's out, it's be out of. It's out of Krusty gets busted from the first season. Yeah, so there you go. I mean, it's just kind of like which which would have been like right on the heels of this movie. <laughs> yeah, so I'm just kind of like, did they really not? They couldn't come up with anything else. I mean, it's it's absurd. Yeah, and it doesn't even matter because he he makes bail the next day or the same it day. It delays or something. him, you know, fifty yeah. long enough for Darkman to go to ninety nine minutes, and they don't. Yeah, it's um. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty illogical. Yeah. Um, and one more little illogical thing, which I'm gonna mention because it carries over into the other two movies. Um, unlike the uh, forgetting about the dark, uh, it the skin working in the dark only. Um, how does being dark man let him imitate people's voices? Yeah, that, that gets even better in the second ones when you've got a guy who's got an accent who, who does it. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, imitating voices is easy, man. You didn't know that? (laughs) It's like, he just, there's like a scene where he's just like playing the recording of someone back enough times, like. Robert G. Durant, but he just can now perfectly imitate um, I mean, Larry Drake's voice. I mean, I think that's, I feel like that's something RoboCop might have been able to do. But, I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a cyborg, you idiot. His, you know, memory is permissible as evidence, and he's got that, he's got that playback thing. Um, but not Darkman. Yeah. It doesn't, that don't make sense. No. Um, and last thing about the music, um... This is oh the, yeah, Dan, well it's Danny Elfman for goodness sakes. I mean, we should mention. We should, and it's it's, Danny, it's not it's not. <laughs> I mean, he he also did Dick Tracy this year. He was a busy busy guy doing doing movies that were made to cash in on the success of, of, of Batman. The, the, the movie the movie that he helped make into a success. Yeah, I can't remember the Dick Tracy music, but the Darkman music sort of yeah no it's a batman it it's a batman riff basically but can't really don't you know can't you say that about every superhero movie Danny Elfman's scores that isn't batman that yeah just, in fact bat- you can also say it batman. about yeah. <laughs> other movies that Danny Elfman scored that aren't superhero movies uh, extreme measures with uh, uh, Hugh Grant as the crusading doctor versus evil Gene Hackman has the best Batman three score that Danny Elfman never got <laughs> to use in Batman Forever. I mean, it's identical. Really? Yeah, it's it's a it's a great score. But uh, and the movie even opens on like a helicopter shot through a city, so mm-hmm. it's like you're watching Batman Forever for a second, the way mm-hmm. it could have been, and then. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Well, so anyway, yeah. so yeah, Darkman, we ran over a little bit, but I, I, I'm worried we're going to run under on some of the sequels, so let's move on to... Two and three. Two and three. Now, which, which, which right in the opening credits, um, 
you know, says musical cues by Danny Elfman, and they do use the same. Yes. I guess there's there's the Darkman theme, as you might expect, but then there's all there's also like a specific cue, which is just like Danny Elfman doing crazy nightmare music, and they put that in when he has crazy, you know, inside the mind of Darkman, you know, montages, uh, which which don't make as much sense because, like we said, he's not nearly as crazy as he was in the first movie. And, um, okay, so a couple things real quick. Uh, just that Spider-Man 3, Danny Elfman didn't do the music, but he has the same credit as he does in Darkman 2 and 3, where he does themes by Danny Elfman, which I, yeah. I thought was interesting because, you know, I, I don't know other, any other movies where he has that, just his Raimi associations. Um Darkman 2, I remember when it came out on video, I was interested. I don't know if I was excited, but I was like, oh, Darkman 2, I'll check it out. Darkman lends itself perfectly to recasting your lead actor without ever having to discuss the fact you don't have Liam Neeson anymore. <laughs> yeah. And uh, they don't do that. <laughs> they, they, they recast uh, Peyton Westlake as... Um, Arnold Vosloo. Arnold Vosloo. To the point where you see pictures of him, and it's Arnold Vosloo. And I'm not sure how much it would cost for them to use a picture of Liam Neeson in this, but they really could have. Um, it's not like James Bond. They didn't have to do the James Bond thing or the, the Batman Forever thing. They could have. I wish, I, wish, I wish in the opening prologue, like Arnold Vosloo had turned to the camera and said, This never happened to the other fella. Yeah, and the other thing is, I don't know if you read this, apparently Darkman 2 is supposed to be Darkman 3, and Darkman 3 is supposed to be Darkman 2. Did you read that well, trivia no, note? I, I, didn't, I didn't know that, but that would make sense, as Darkman yeah. 2 is the return of Durant, and, and Larry Drake gets top billing. So it would have it would have, yeah, it would have made more of a thematic trilogy sense to bring yeah. back to bring back Durant in, in the third part. So it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, so, um, Darkman 2, uh... Just to get some stuff out of the way, um, like, the director is also the, uh, cinematographer, Bradford May, and he's not a bad director, honestly, but, uh, I mean, he's competent, but the script is freaking awful. (laughs) And it's not only freaking awful, but unlike the freaking awful script for Darkman 3, which was written by... A different couple of guys. Um, Darkman 2's story, like, doesn't have much to do with him being Darkman or, or chain, you know, being able to disguise himself. It's, it's it's mostly about Durant breaking this crazy scientist out of jail to build a laser gun. Now, these were made in Canada. Um, yep. These were made in Canada, and, and we got a... Where good, where good things happen. This is one of the things that I don't think this has ever happened with any other um, any other film property. This certainly never happened with RoboCop. Paul Verhoeven never was like, hey, you know what? Let me produce a bunch of crappy <laughs> Robo... Paul Verhoeven did not produce the RoboCop TV series. In fact, no one involved with the original movies even produced the RoboCop TV series. They sold the character. Darkman 2 and 3 were produced, or at least executive produced, by Raimi and uh, Robert uh, Tappert, who produced the original. I mean, this is during 
during the 90s, before Spider-Man, Raimi was most successful as the executive producer of Xena Warrior Princess. You know, mm-hmm. Renaissance Pictures, or Renaissance Productions, they, like, made one good TV show. They made American Gothic, and then they made all this crap. They made mm-hmm. Hercules, they made Xena, they mm-hmm. made, um... Didn't Bruce Campbell even have a spin-off show from that for a while? I mean, they just did... Yeah. They just did this heinous shit, and it was all for Universal because Universal, yeah. like I said earlier, was trying to get a TV network, right. and they um, they had their action pack, which Darkman wasn't a part of but could have been, where they made sequels to Midnight Run, uh, Kung Fu: The Next Generation Part Two or something, um, Team Knight Rider, and uh, shit, they remade Smokey and the Bandit with yeah. some soap opera star. Uh, there were. The, the, the Tremors uh, The Tremors sequel sequels and, and came TV out. show. They came out around this time, but the Tremors ones at least had the original produ- uh, um, The Tremors sequels are interesting in that the writers of the first movie wrote the second one and then one of them directed it and then the third one somebody else wrote it but they still brought in one of the production mm-hmm. company's founders to direct it. And so... Yeah, I mean, Universal was just desperate for this. And I think eventually (laughs) they got into USA Network and sci-fi, but it was a little bit after Darkman, Uh, even though IMDb still says that Darkman 2, at least, was originally a TV movie or something, right? Like, teleplay by? Yeah, it has a teleplay. So it's just weird that Raimi sold out his creation here. I mean, basically, there's really no other way to... There's no nice way to say it. I mean, he yeah, he, he sold them out for direct-to-video bucks. I mean, he sold them out so people at Blockbuster would rent the movie. I mean, it's just yeah. like you know, you'd think that um, you'd think that uh, uh, bringing Larry Drake back would be interesting, but it's not. It it would be like I mean, he doesn't. He's He's just not. He, I mean, he's not written by the same. He's not. He's yeah. not. He's not written by the same guy, so he doesn't get to be nearly as you know insidious and devious and stuff. Yeah, and this. He's, he's like doing an impression of himself from the first movie. It would be like, it'd be like if Clarence Boddicker came back in RoboCop two and and he was lame. Yeah. Um. Or or three. He came back in RoboCop three. Um. Yeah. It's um. There's a news reporter angle mm-hmm. that uh, Darkman's like this myth, and then they yeah, it and, <laughs> and they never they never go into that at no, all. No, because I mean it it only runs ninety three minutes, so yeah, I, the Darkman's a myth, and they introduce somebody else who's gonna make it so Peyton Westlake can get his face back, even though. Yeah, well, that, that's that's one of the funniest things about how bad the movie is. Is that like they repeat the plot of the first movie, but with some other guy, <laughs> who 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 you know Robert Durant shows up and wrecks his lab and kills him. Yeah. Um... They should have gone all the way and have him be like Dark Man Two, and then it'll be like RoboCop Two, or there's a RoboCop Two version Two. And they anyway. um. <laughs> Behave yourselves. It is a anyway. lot more violent. In a way, um, it's showier. They, they, de- the decapitation doesn't the head roll I, or. I think the, I thought that was in three. I mean, well, I can't remember shit. 
I think it was in three, but since you since you mentioned it, yeah, they they reuse the sticking a guy's head out of a manhole on a street gag in three, but this time they they have a rolling head, and you're like, wow, that's that's uh, grotesque, <laughs> and and more violently grotesque than I was expecting for a direct-to-video sequel. Yeah. But anyways, um, yeah, you know, and it's like also more more of my problems with the story just by itself. It's like. Okay, there's this scientist who's also working on skin, and Durant wants Durant. Oh, wants that's the, right. Durant wants the the warehouse that he works in, like for some really important reason. Like he has to have this warehouse. But no, he he, he has to have the warehouse to make the guns that he makes anyway. When he doesn't have the warehouse. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> Anyways, his and his and his goons are threatening this guy, like you know, we're gonna buy you out or we're gonna kill you, and they eventually do. But while that's happening, like Darkman is showing up with his skin on to talk to the same guy, like in the same scene, like the goons are leaving as he comes in to talk to the guy, and it's still not until like at least a half an hour into the movie that. Uh, well, yeah, right. Like about a, at least a half an hour into the movie, Darkman finds this scientist after they've killed him, and his finger is missing. So he goes Durant, and now he knows that Durant's back. And it's like, well, God, that took long enough. It's an American. It's a. It's a. Uh, what? What? I, one of the funny things is, it's clearly Canadian. I mean, I guess if you don't know anything about what a Canadian production looks like, you might not realize it's Canadian, but I, I was like, oh, wow, this is so Canadian, it hurts. <laughs> the bad guys are skinheads who are going to revolt against the United States at one point. It's funny. I mean, that's funny. The bad guys are like a U.S. state senator who's secretly a skinhead. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, but I did want to mention, of course, Renee O'Connor from Xena. Uh, she's in this as a stripper who it's never said she's – it's implied she's a stripper. Well, it's like it, – she, she's just like the scientist's sister, and then later on in the movie, like, Darkman goes to a strip club, and and she's working there. <laughs> so, yeah. Um. Yeah, and then she gets killed off anyways. Spoiler alert. Um, Does she get killed off? I can't even remember. No, that was Kim Delaney. Oh, yeah, in three. Yeah. No, two. Two. Kim oh, Delaney's oh. in this one, too. He has two romantic interests in this. Sort of. But, I mean, okay, so... Arnold Vaslu was in, um... He's in all of Stephen Summers movies now, but he was in... He's the villain in the Mummy movies. Yeah, he's the Mummy, but he was in uh, Hard Target, which is where I think... I I think... Didn't Raimi, like, executive produce Hard Target? I don't know. I think he did, because Chuck Pfeiffer wrote it, and Chuck... Yeah, Sam Raimi's an executive producer on Hard Target, so that's clearly where he met um, Arnold Vosloo. And, I mean, you know, Hard Target, I haven't seen it in 15 years, but I'm sure if I had to pick a Van Damme movie to watch under any circumstance, it'd probably be Hard Target, like, except, you know, what, JCVD or whatever. But, you know, so back when this happened, I'm like, oh, well, okay, that's okay. Maybe the guy can act. Maybe he can. And in this one, he's takes second seat not just to 
Larry Drake or Kim Delaney or Renee O'Connor or her brother who gets killed, he takes second seat to the goons. The guy gets, <laughs> you know, they give the uh, Canadian goons more flashier substance than they give Arnold Vosloo in this. I mean, it's just kind of like... Yeah, he's really perfunctory. Yeah, um, it's... And, he's, and, 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 and the stuff that they do come up with for him to do that he didn't do in the first movie as Darkman is just the most cliched, stupid stuff. I mean, like, he lives in the sewers. He's got... He uses a train system to get around town underground. Um, and also, I mean... For all the for all the illogical stuff in in the first Dark Man, it wasn't like he could just pull out a mask of somebody like the second he needed it. Right. He had he had to he had to go through the trouble of taking photos and stuff. The first scene in Dark Man Two is him like stopping a robbery, and it's really RoboCop Two like um, like the opening of RoboCop Two because um, there's a you know crazy goons one of them's even a woman so it's it's like verhoven's gender gender neutral future but blah, blah, blah. um he stops he stops some robbers and he takes their money you know for his work and that's awful good of him i'm sure that money doesn't belong to anyone um but he just has a mask for one of these robbers that he needs to stop like he couldn't have possibly known who they were before before that night how did he take pictures of him and learn to imitate his voice? It's, yeah. for, chi- it's, for, it's for children. I mean, it's a bloody t- movie for children. Yeah, it really is. Um, yeah, so. Huh. Dark Man 2, what else? Um, the, uh, the, 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 sci- the scientist who he's working with who gets killed by Larry Drake uh, figures out how to break the 99-minute barrier on the skin, and then in the third movie, he forgets. <laughs> I mean, the sci- like he even tells Darkman like, how he did it, and then Darkman forgets, and in the third movie, he's only got 99 minutes again. So that's... that's you, know, you, know, you know continuity is really bad when like these two sequels are filmed back-to-back, and they still can't remember that part. Well, except were they filmed back to back? I I'm assuming so. Well, no, but that... were they filmed back to back in the other order? Were they? Was it filmed three and then two? Oh my gosh! Yeah, that's what that... I that's what I think. Yeah, I think you might be right because yeah, yeah. I think I mean, they filmed two and then they did three and then they were like, well, shit. Let's make sure Larry Drake's in the first sequel. Yeah, they said his availability changed, so maybe, yeah, because I think they probably filmed this one second and just released it first because Larry Drake was in it. Yeah. Because, you know, people are clamoring for Dr. Giggles. Um, <laughs> yeah, Dr. Giggles came out a few years before Dark Man too. Now, but... yeah, um, what else is there to say about 2? Um, I like how I like how at the end, uh, when Darkman's fighting Durant and his goons, he suddenly got a lot of rope in that warehouse to swing around on, like Tarzan. Um, but, 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 there's some there's some lame Cold War humor about how the Cold War is over, and um, 
one of the goons is from some former Soviet Soviet bloc country. The story is from one of the writers of The Birds 2. Wow, we still haven't watched that. I know, but it's also Vanishing Sun. That was one of the Universal movies. This is, it is. This is a, this is Universal, this is, Raimi just let Universal do this. It's just, (laughs) what's funny about this is, is that, According to well, look, you know the char- how attached can you be to a character that you had to create because they wouldn't let you do the character well, you actually wanted to. I, I mentioned this to you that I had read about this. So, in the nine not nineties in the uh, a few years ago because I'm not comfortable yet referring to them as the naughties. That's what. Anyway, yeah. Um, I guess some toy company wanted to make a Dark Man statue and. They asked Universal, and Universal's like, no, Sam Raimi owns that character. And they were like, no, we made the movie in 1990. There's no way you guys gave him rights to the freaking character. And Universal apparently was like, oh, you're right, we own it. So they made (laughs) Darkman toys. And then they made a couple Darkman comics, because everybody apparently thought Sam Raimi owned the rights to this character for for 10 years. And it's just kind of like... Dark Man could. Uh, this is what Raimi did with it, really. I mean, I know, well, I know he doesn't. He didn't. He didn't care. <laughs> I know he didn't care. Except there's still. See, that's the thing. Did he not care, or was he just? Does he just not care? I think that's my question. That's been my question about Raimi since Spider Man. Spider-Man 3 raises the same questions. Spider-Man 3 raises the same questions. Does he just not care? Because he, you know, does he just not care? I mean, the Xena thing. I mean, the guy (laughs) made bank on Xena. Long before Spider-Man, the guy made real bank on Xena. Does he really just not care anymore? I mean... Well, you know, a a lot's been done with the Evil Dead license in recent years. A lot's been done with the Evil Dead. Yeah, they got the games voiced by Bruce Campbell. But do you remember the rumor that they were going to remake Evil Dead with Ryan Reynolds as Ash? Yeah, I do. Yeah, that. and that and it was Raimi blessed, and apparently Bruce Campbell was not blessing it because he wanted to make an Evil Dead four. But I, it's that's I think that's my problem with Raimi is I think he just doesn't care. I think he really more than pretty much anybody but Michael Bay could give a shit <laughs> about his about people who like his work and think it's I mean. It's not like Tim Burton's all of a sudden making Edward Scissorhands into a freaking a sitcom yeah. starring, I don't know. Somebody Jamie Kennedy. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, this is a Raimi thing, and this nobody noticed it with Dark oh, well. Man 2, apparently. But I think yeah. you could have seen Spider-Man 3 coming a lot sooner if people paid attention to Dark Man 2. You know what else I like in Darkman 2? It's really dumb that they do with the character right in the first 20 minutes. They have him They have him walking around. I mean, he's supposed to be like a mysterious, shadowy, urban legend crime fighter like Batman. And yet he has no problem like walking around, push, literally pushing a shopping cart in his trademark bandages and trench coat and fedora. Oh, and, go, <laughs> and, and sitting on a park bench and giving ball ba- a, a ball back to some adorable little street urchins and... Um, um, 
checking his post office box. Yeah, yeah, because that's how they bust him. In full dark man regalia. Yeah, um, because he couldn't get a mask out. It takes more than 99 minutes to come out of the sewer. And he also has his little train. You forgot that we forgot to mention the train. I I mentioned that. Did you? He lives in he lives in the sewers and he travels around on the on the Toronto Transit Commission subways. Okay. Um, what's strange is I actually have nice things to say about Darkman Three. Me too. That's not so strange because yeah, no, it's not. It it sucks, but it doesn't suck nearly as hard as two. No, I mean this is really (laughs) funny because. I don't know if it was on the podcast when we talked about this, but when I told you Jeff Fahey was in Darkman <laughs> 3, you had this yeah. really audible groan. And well, the funny thing is, Jeff Fahey plays two roles in Darkman 3. He plays... Um, he plays his villain, and then he plays Darkman playing him. And and he's actually fine as Darkman playing him. Like, he's fine playing a good guy. It's when he plays a bad guy that he's intolerable. Yeah, um, well... Something about Jeff Fahey appearing in the number three sequels. There's this, and there's Psycho Three. Yeah. Now, <laughs> and he's and he's the villain in Psycho Three as well. Okay. So Darkman Three has. Um, die Darkman Die. Die Darkman Die. Which is only German for the Darkman the. It's, it's unfortunate that nobody ever brought that up with Sam Raimi. So you produced The Dark Med The. Sob, so give a blank stare and possibly get up and walk out. Um, you know, it's that that title is so awesome, but it's not really... It doesn't, yeah, it does it's, not. It's not. It's not really about, you know, like... I mean, like, because the first scene of the movie is just... It's sort of the Dark Man tradition of, like, the the opening sequence has to be the villain meeting with another criminal and then killing them. Um, that's what Jeff Fahey does. You know, he's doing this drug deal. He's bringing, he's bringing illegal steroids into Toronto and he kills, he kills another goo, you know, another crime boss. And then when dark man shows up and screws things up and steals the money, you know, he's like, you know, uh, so he's real, huh? I thought, then I thought like, you know, he was going to put out a contract on dark man and that would be the significance of Die Dark Man Die, but it's not about that at all. No, it, um... it's really it's really a personal personal war of wills and stuff between him and Dark Man and Jeff Fahey. Yeah, and of course there is the uh, the tie to the first movie with uh, Darlene Flugel, who uh, Darlene Flugel, who enjoyed yeah. some. Uh, big movie um, stuff before she did these because uh, she was in uh, to Live and Die in L.A. and Running Scared. So she she was in theatrical releases at one point and she was in Crime Story and she was good in that. But she's the evil mad scientist lady sexpot doctor in this. Well, you know what's really disturbing is um, I think you know what I'm talking about is that when she's pretending to be Darkman's friend so that she can betray him, um, she says, you know, he's like, wow, how'd you get all this lab equipment? She's like, oh, daddy paid for it. And then when she reveals herself to be a villainess and Jeff Fahey shows up, she's like, ha, meet daddy. You know, this is the daddy I was referring to. Yeah. And that, and it, I thought that they were actually father and daughter. And then later, and then later they're humping on a lab table. <laughs> oh God. Um, and it's like, oh, I guess but, maybe but- they, 
they either forgot or she was jokingly referring to him as daddy, <laughs> but I thought she was referring to him as daddy for real. <laughs> That's gross. Yeah. Now, I will actually, in terms of writing uh, developments that are actually really cool, uh, one of the things that makes Dark Man 3 okay is that, yes, she actually is one of his doctors from the hospital, and yes, she really is a psychotic evil bitch. Like, that, it's not like she was lying to him to be his friend, like, oh, I treated you in the hospital, Dr. Westlake. You know, I've been looking for you for six years. It's, you know, I treated you in the hospital. I've been looking for you for six years because I'm going to, you know, use you as a whatever. I mean, the whole super-powered thugs is idiotic and everything. But, I mean, the whole idea of not making her story bullshit was interesting. I mean... It's a good. It's a good time. Well, that's 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 my that's the main thing about why this bad script is better than the bad script for Dark Man Two is that Dark Man Three actually, it's it's like it's like written for Dark Man. Yeah. Now, <laughs> it involve it involves him being Dark Man and stuff. It's not totally incidental to who he is. It is actually her last movie, by the way. For anyone wondering. Oh, did she yeah. die? No. No. Yeah. Well, anyways. Anyways, so, and then, so that's about, I'd say, 30, 40 minutes of the movie is setting all of that up. And then the movie totally shifts into being this Beauty and the Beast, like, love story. Darkman's pining for Jeff Fahey's wife. Well, that's really out of nowhere. Yeah, because, like, uh, after <laughs> after being betrayed... um Jeff Fahey has a disc with all of his research on it, and he only made one copy, so he's got to get that hard diskette. And it's at Jeff Fahey's house, so he has to be Jeff Fahey. And Jeff Fahey, like you said, is pretty good playing not Jeff Fahey. Um, But then we're supposed to believe that, like, because of a few hours with Jeff Fahey's wife and daughter, suddenly Dark Man wants that family for his own, which is kind of creepy anyways well it's creepy but i actually thought that um i thought the wife was good yeah yeah she was actually and then at the end of it there's this moment where she's you know dark man idiotically gives up enough skin to give him a permanent face of course because the little girl has a fucking tiny acid burn but anyway, mm-hmm. so he gives he gives it up, and then the end of the movie is the woman stopping him and being like, I need to see your face. And it's like, yes, we've already resolved the fact that, you know, you want to pretend to be my husband and get jiggy, but let me see your disgustingly deformed face. <laughs> and you know what? She looks at him. She does not tell him anything. She does not, you know, sympathize. She does not pity yeah, she him. Did, she, did, she, she just, just says, nods. thank you. Yeah. And then he's gone. And it's just kind of like, okay, so clearly these guys who wrote this, they also wrote Face Off and some other crap. But at some point, they brought somebody in who could write a decent moment in a movie. Mm-hmm. Why didn't they just hire these morons to write The Return of Durant, too? I mean, like, at least then I, I'd have one or two nice things to say about it because that scene with on the roof where she looks at his face I, I mean that hurt I was like wow that 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 sucks dude like because yeah Jeff A he does all the heavy lifting of the romance of um being the reformed dark man 
as Jeff Fahey's character, Jeff Fahey acting, he does a lot of, I mean, it's probably the best I can think of ever seeing Jeff Fahey in a movie. Because it's touching. Because, you know, like, the kid doesn't know that her daddy really is this, you know, monster. But, yeah. Yeah, so, I'm, I'm actually yeah. curious and about this. Jeff Fahey. Ooh, wow. Been a lot of bad movies. It's been a lot, a lot of bad movies. But, um... Anyways, yeah, I mean, yeah. That, that whole, that whole storyline alone makes Darkman 3 so much better than 2, because... Yeah, it's it's all about, you know, having to be in disguise and him being a monster and him almost like RoboCop, uh, not, you know, ne- he can never have a normal life again. Like Yeah. And I mean, and he can what, never you can never have a family again. And that was one of the things I guess they talked about at the end of RoboCop. Um they mentioned this on the Criterion commentary. Apparently, you know, yes, the idea of somehow restoring his humanity was bandied about. Um, before being dismissed, but, you know, it's kind of like, this one really deals with that, and it's something that even a toned-down, family-friendly Darkman movie has to deal with, whereas the second one sort of reduces Darkman to such a non-character in Mm -hmm. his own movie that, you know, it's like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, Jeff Fahey is, yeah, really good, um in those scenes where he's playing dark man and even kind of before that just as you know almost a generic scummy bad guy um it kind of goes off the rails at the end though when dark man has to fight him for the last time because for then, like so, an hour yeah because suddenly because suddenly jeff fahey is decides to crank it up to 11 and just be goofy and well that's because he's that's... shot himself up with dark man juice oh yeah <laughs> i forgot yeah, so that's that's. Doesn't pretty, he like try and painful. kill his kid too, or something? Or does the woman try to do? The, no, he does. He tries to kill the kid at one point during the last fight scene. Yeah, with the, his, like, wife, his wife tries to like push something heavy onto him, and then he uh, and then he goes like, you know, well, my wife killed tried to kill me. It's only fair that I try to kill her now. Yeah. He actually said he actually like says that out loud in so many words. I'm shocked that you know. Joel Schumacher didn't see him in this and just think that he would have been great in Batman and Robin, but yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate, but I mean, the movie is actually convincing enough that you're kind of like, okay, well, he's really dark man in, he's not Jeff Fahey. And it's kind of the first time they ever do that in this, because in the first movie, it's so fast that right. he does not. It's just- just in out he only he has yeah. just enough just enough time to uh to confuse the bad guys right and in this in the second one i can't even whatever in the second in the second one it's like does he even pretend to be anyone else for any extended period yeah, of time or, or is he just or is he just dodging laser blasts right and so this one it's um yeah it makes it part of the story yeah i mean i think if there had only been this one i i I don't want to give it too much credit, but it's no, certainly... no, no. But it could have it could have sort of been you know remembered nostalgically, yeah. In, in the way that like Tremors two aftershocks could be remembered right. nostalgically yeah. until they made three and four on the TV show. Right. Yeah. It's 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 really close to being an okay low budget sequel to uh, mm-hmm. something else, and I'm, yeah, like. In, Unfortunately, Arnold Vosloo has very little to do with that. 
which is funny because I don't. I'm sure you didn't see GI Joe. No. But he plays uh, Zartan, who is the master of disguise in GI Joe. Wow, that's ironic. Yeah, there, there's or no coinci- coincidental. There's around. no Darkman comment though. So yeah, I mean Darkman three. I mean, I think I would actually recommend this if it were playing on TV and you were, <laughs> you had nothing else to do. I mean, yeah. Roxanne Dawson if, is good. If you really like Darkman so much that you want to see uh, the sequels, don't bother with two, but do bother with three. Or watch three, then two, and let us know how it plays in the correct order. Because I just yeah, right, I just right. read on the the goof section of IMDb that what you just commented on that you know Doctor Peyton Westlake totally forgets that he already knows how to make yeah. his mask last for an extra hour um, between between sequels. That that would explain it. Oh, and you know about about the um, about the storylines thing. I mean. Do you think maybe they like took? Because I didn't know that the TV pilot came before um, two and three. But do you think maybe they like the writers of this like were given a list of possible storylines for the Darkman TV show and and one and like they just kind of sh- they, they just kind of shoehorned them into this like because the guy <laughs> the Darkman juice getting an extract of uh, Darkman's blood to get his super adrenaline pumping powers. And then just giving it to a bunch of goons, that seems like something that could have been an episode of a half an hour Darkman show. Yeah, it, and I think... And, and, the, and then also the way his, you know, falling in love with with, uh, with right. the wife and child uh, comes out of nowhere. That's That could have been something there, else, yeah. A Darkman documentary would probably be really interesting, um, just given all the crap. Because there were right. four novels. Um, wow. There was a novelization and then there was a novel series. Huh. Uh, that came around the the release of these movies, all written by the guy who wrote the novelization. So um, it was the '90s novelization uh, novel series. Out of continuity, novel series were very big. I mean, NYPD Blue had one of those. Homicide: Life on the Street had one. I remember, there were a bunch of Mars Attacks novels, oddly enough. As a sequel to the movie. Um, or no, more like related? as origi- as originals, oh, okay. but be- but because of the movie and the revival of interest the minor revival of interest um one thing i do want to mention about the last two is they were co-produced by david ike who uh you know produced the battlestar galactica tv show uh to incredible acclaim and awards and stuff i I wonder if he puts um the dark man on his uh (laughs) cv when he's uh trying to well actually now that he's tried to relaunch bionic woman i bet he's in some trouble but anyway yeah it's it's kind of weird that you see he was always a tv guy too so you know there's no way for us to track down midnight run for your life but it's just yeah well um one last yeah ike uh Last thing on this, he um, he produced American Gothic, which I mentioned earlier is the one good show that Sam Raimi created. Oh. Um, Interesting. Yeah. The one, the, uh, <laughs> um, my favorite, my favorite, um, my favorite gratuitous bit of ridiculousness, and one more kind of shame on you, Universal point, is. Uh, Early in the movie, when Darkman's taking a nap, and the camera pans over to his TV, and we see like thirty freaking seconds of a of a promotion for for visiting Universal Studios Florida. 
w- wasn't we, we, we see we see like the King Kong ride and the Back to the Future ride and stuff. Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's, it's great. It's so gratuitous. In the second one, wasn't there a uh, long clip of Frankenstein or something? Um, actually, that was no, it wasn't a long clip. It was kind of a clever use of was license okay. when he's ha- when he's having one of his psychotic fits and. He's, the word, the word freak is echoing in his head. You see Frankenstein for a split second, which they can do because it's the universal yeah. Frankenstein. Yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of interesting. Um, hey, we th- did find something good to say about Darkman, too. There you go. <laughs> they, used Frank- they used Frankenstein for one second. <laughs> um, summing up some other stuff, Larry Drake did go on to do a TV show called Prey, which was really good and didn't get uh, picked up for a second season. But that was a really good show, and I don't think it's available on DVD. But he did not play a special person on that show. So, Well, uh, he plays a special person of sorts in our, in our next episode's movie, isn't that right? Yes, it is. And you've <laughs> wanted to... I think you've mentioned this for a long time, and I've sort of tried to not uh well this is like one this is one of those horror movies which um uh unlike Candyman, which is an actually good movie but like Candyman's a good movie but like Candyman, the ads for the for this movie really scared me as a kid and that's kind of why i've always wanted to see it um the movie is dr giggles from 1992 starring larry drake as the the eponymous dr giggles and um yeah, I'm curious to see how he's going to be as a uh, one-line quipping uh, slasher guy. No, he's a slasher dentist, or is he a fake dentist? He's not a dentist. You may be thinking of the dentist with Corbin Burnson. Then why's he got the mask? Oh, because he's just a doctor? Okay. Yeah, he's just a doctor-y doctor, doctor guy. But is he a real doctor, or is he a fake doctor? Well, I don't know. I guess we're going to find out. All we know is that the doctor is in. Sane. Now... Good cast on it. Holly Marie Combs at the height of Picket Fences. Um, and Cliff Young. Young. Yeah. And, um, He's cool. Glenn Quinn from Rose, Roseanne. Uh, he was the uh, father of the bastard grandson or whatever on Roseanne. And it's also uh, written and directed by Manny Cotto, who uh, I could give a crap about, but he, he, he does um, 24. It's hmm. the 24 producer. That's hot. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyways, that's our bad movie. And now um, our good movie is your recommendation. Yeah, this is just a really, really cool movie, and I just felt like seeing it again and talking about it, and I thought you should see it. It's called Blackmail Is My Life, and it was made in 68. It's Japanese, and it's a really cool, kind of flashy, colorful, fast-paced, uh, dryly sarcastic and cynical crime uh, thriller comedy um, and that should describe it pretty well as much as I can without going into any other details but yeah it's just, it's just really neat so it was um, it's uh, it's kind of like um, it's kind of like a Japanese Elmore Leonard movie or something so I'm looking forward to that one I'm looking forward to Dr. Giggles too but the other one uh, I'm looking forward to a little bit more well I'm Looking forward to them both, and uh, everybody should tune into that and check out our website at alansmithypodcast.info for previous episodes, and um, 
I guess that about does it. Um, so for Anna Allen Smithy podcast and the wonderful world of Darkman, this, <laughs> this has been uh, Matt. And this has been Andrew. And thanks for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Best of Alan Smithy Podcasts. This is Madeline Crawford. Good evening.